January 5th, 2024, we're in Masechet four lines from the top. The Gemara begins a new sugya which will span the entirety of this Amud into the beginning of the next. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shimu, Amar Rav, Hamose kilaim bebirdo poshtan afilu bashuk. Statement of Rav Yudah in the name of Rav is a foundational, important one. If a person finds that they're wearing, realizes, kilayim, kilayim over here in clothing, of course, is shatnez. You have a mixture of semir and pishtan. You're wearing wool and linen together, interwoven, and you're in the marketplace, afilu bashuk, you need to take off your clothing. The halacha is, even though that's going to expose your nakedness, it's going to be very embarrassing for you, it's going to be an uncomfortable situation, the fact that, and we'll read this in a moment in the Gemara, that's going to be embarrassing for you, doesn't supersede, doesn't override the halacha from the Torah, that it's asur, it's forbidden to be wearing kilayim, to have sha'atnez uh, as part of your clothing. Does this connect to what we were learning? We'll find that in a moment or two. Says the Gemara, Maita'ama, what's the reason? En chokma ve'en tevuna ve'en itza l'neged Adonai. Cites a pasuk from Mishleh, which effectively said there's no wisdom, there's no intellect, there's no knowledge greater than that of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a command in the Torah. It in turn overrides anything and everything that you might consider. I have a concept known as kavod abiriot. It's going to be the operative words in our sugya. I want to honor uh, human beings that will not override a mitzvah from the Torah. Kol makom shiesh hilul Hashem en holkin kabod larav to the extent that if there's going to be profaning God's name, hilul Hashem, you don't give any kabod to a rabbi or anything or everything else. Human beings, in terms of their dignity, which we very much uphold with a certain sanctity according to the Torah, will not come in the face of a mitzvah or an avera from the Torah. Uh, the Gemara statement is if a person finds it on his clothing. What about if a person notices it on another person's clothing? If I see you in the marketplace, can I, should I be telling you in such a situation? Tur in Yoredea Siman Shin Gimal, and really it begins with Rosh on our sugya, but suggests that this is a mahloka between Rosh and Harambam. His suggestion is that according to Rosh, who writes so explicitly, you wouldn't do so. Why not? Because we assume that that person who's wearing it is doing it bishogeg. As a result, although it's true they're violating an avira from the Torah, the fact that it's bishogeg, when I'm going against a shogeg, and kavod haberiot, honoring the dignity and stature of that person, while they're sinning accidentally, tell them to take it off, but only after they're out of the public view. That's the suggestion of Rosh. Harambam seems to go against that, and that's the way that Tur <coughs> and Bet Yosef record this lahalacha. Bet Yosef, in fact, seem to suggest that Harambam's lashon in the Gemara may have been different, because the lashon of the Gemara, the words of Yerahamotzeki line, bebigdo, on your clothing, it might mean, it might be instead for Harambam, Beit Yosef writes that it seems that, according to Harambam, the Lashon of the Gemara might be not Bigdo, but rather Hamotse Kilaim, Poshtova Filubashuk. Again, the word Bibigdo would support Rosh in it just being on your clothing, on your garment. However, Bach, Rabbi Yoel Sirkish, in his commentary to Tur, right there in Siman Shin Gimal, disagrees with this reading of Harambam. He suggests that even Harambam would agree with Rosh, 
And his intent when he says that you tell your friend, it's when your friend is doing it b'mezid. Your friend realizes that they're transgressing and re- wearing sha'atnez. Uh, um, in that situation, only in that situation, do you correct your friend and tell them, uh, take off their clothing or take the clothing off for them ba'afilu bashuk. But if it was b'shogeg, even your friend, or not even your friend, doing it b'shogeg, even Harambam would agree that you don't uh, take it off or instruct them to take it off. But the, it doesn't matter if that word is there or not, because in the end of the day, it's if you're going against the word of God, whether on purpose or by mistake, so whether suggest- it's yours, anyone else's... the suggestion else's, of these rabbis, of the Rishonim, is it's only if it's purposeful. A purposeful rebellion against God is a hilul Hashem. An accidental, that's not a hilul Hashem. The logic of saying that God's word supersedes all else is because I'm doing it as a rebellion against God, is the suggestion. As opposed to, I accidentally did so, okay, you're accidentally doing so, and I'm going to embarrass you in a very real and severe way. I, I prefer the uh, accidental transgression. All right, the Gemara now is going to challenge this from many angles, this concept that even when a person is violating b'mezid, we would embarrass them, bring forth a sense of embarrassment um, in order to prevent it. Says the Gemara, we have this statement that, uh, What about the following question? After the burial of a, a dead person, that's why it's mentioned over here in our sugya, uh, so the family and those who were uh, present for the burial finished the burial, and they're on their way back to the home of the mourner, to their own homes as well. And there are two ways, two dirachim, uh, as they um, as they face a fork in the road and have to make a decision which way to go. Ahat tehorave, ahat temea. One of those dirachim, one of those ways is. It has, along the way, buried underneath or on top, something that would give tum'ah, would contaminate uh, ritually the uh, person who's there. And the other one is fully tahor. Says the Beraita, Baba tehora ba'in imo batehora, Baba teme'a ba'in imo batemea. This girsah in the Gemara, which Rashi has, Ra'avad has it the opposite way. But regardless, working with this one, it'll amount to the same thing in Ra'avad. We, we, we instruct those who are accompanying the person who's the Avel, who just buried and is in turn going to be mourning, to just follow and accompany him irrespective of where you're walking, and this includes even Kohanim, which again means that on the one hand, if he chose the way of Tahara, we understand, of course, all the Dweks, Bedas, and Kohens go with, towels go with him. But what about if he chose the way of Tum'ah? Why would he be doing so? Well, it's easier, quicker path to his home. Both, both get you home. Both get you to a location for one reason or another. The mourner chose or, one. Uh, uh, Ocean Parkway uh-huh. and McDonald is Tameh and Ocean Parkway is Tahoe. Exactly. And McDonald gets you home faster. Exactly. But in order that. to accompany, you you can and should in order to accompany the Avil. That's your Kavod Haberiot over here. Keep in mind, if I say to him, I'm sorry, I'm a Kohen, I'm going to go that way. Well, Hazit, he's not going to be walking without your accompaniment. Even if you're so Kohen. what seems clear from this Biraita is that a Kohen transgresses the Isur of Emora la Kohanim Haron ve'amata lehem le'nefesh lo'itama be'amav that you have an Isur Tum'ah 
even though we are going to go against that that's the question here in the Gemara so again we're asking a question from this after the burial of a deceased person they return there are two ways to go one of them is tehora, is a pure the other one is not so if the avail the mourner decided to go for one reason or another on the tehora, easy decision all the Kwanim will accompany. What about This is the Hidush. Here's the novel one. We should say, we're expecting it to say, Kwanim part ways. And they say, we need to go the other way. After all, and the Pasuk we cited earlier. They're absolutely doing it purposefully with realization and understanding of what's going on. Those are the final two words of the Beraita. We do so, the Kwanim. Because of the kabod of the avil of the mourner, says the Gemara Amai. Why is this so? Based on <coughs> the statement that we began with, Rav Yuda, in the name of Rav, it should not be so. In the pasuk said that there's no wisdom, no intellect, no knowledge which overrides that of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Tirgema, Rav Abba, Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba interpreted the situation by suggesting there's a detail that you weren't aware of. That derech teme'ah, that impure path, was not an impure path on a biblical level. It wasn't tum'ah midde'oraita. It was only rabbinic in nature. Now we're going to have to define what that means in a moment, but let's just conceptually understand it before we do so. The idea being the following. If it's an isur from the Torah, so to speak, the direct words of God, okay, it's beautiful to respect other people, but not in the face of God's word. Over here, it's a tum'ah only because the rabbis decreed so. The rabbis, as a result, say, we dispense of you, our honor in this moment, you abiding to our word, in order to be mechabedet haberiot. Tirgemah rabbi abba de rabbanan. The circumstance, the situation is what's known as a bet haperas. If you take a look at Rashi in the fourth on the fourth line from the top of the Amud, Rashi explains bebet haperas. That's the name of this path of this field. Delo metame elamidrabanan. Okay, for some reason the tumah in this bet haperas is all midrabanan. What is that? Vehu sadeshenehrash bokeber. It's a field where a um, burial plot was nehrash, was plowed afterwards. Vehashu hachamim, and the rabbis had a fear, sheme dildelu, dildelu Maybe the plowing device moved and chopped up the bones of the person who was buried there. It was a field where someone was buried, but afterwards was plowed up. The question is, what happened when it was plowed up? Did the plow reach the dead corpse? Did it in turn grind up maybe inadvertently so, the bones of that person, the hadores alehim, and a person who now would walk on top of those bone uh, shards, those bone remains, misitan, will be touching them, he'll be kicking them and moving them by walking on them. Um, and the halakha is that when it comes to maga, touching, or masa, carrying, 
uh, there's a small measurement known as etzim keseora, small measurement which causes tum'ah. Why didn't uh, Rashi, and he tells us wh- why right away, just interpret that as you walk over them, it's going to be what's considered tumat ohil. For example, the most prevalent circumstance today for a Kohen not to go into a cemetery, but I'm not going to touch it, I'm not going to kick it, I'm going to step over it, that's called tumat ohil, a dead body, bone, or corpse. And the reason, says Rashi, velo ohil. In this circumstance, is only a tum'ah, which is through masa or maga, uh, rabbinically speaking, uh, but not be'ohil. Well, that being the case, Rabbanan who says Rashid, the rabbis in turn, in this situation, the whole Tumah is only Midrabbanan. It's a fear and a suspicion of the rabbis that maybe through the plowing, those bone shards are left over and you walking through it will move them. In a situation of Kavota Biryot, they were Mohel, they suspended their Yakar, their Kavod. And says the Gemara again, the circumstance situation is a tumah derabanan, the plowed up field. Derabanan, it's only a violation of derabanan, and they allowed for you to transgress their words for kavod haberiot. We're going to bring a proof that beta peras is only rabbinically prohibited. Two proofs working backward that beta peras is only rabbinic in nature. The second one says beta perash nidash. Nidash means it's been trampled. So many people have walked through this field, we no longer suspect that there are shards of bones. That would only be if it's rabbinic in nature. If it was asumin ha-Torah, you're not going to so easily say, well, it's been trampled enough. No, you're going to have to evaluate. You're going to have to look into it. It's going to be a safek de oraita. That's one proof that it's only midrabanan, rabbinic in nature. And the earlier proof is menapeh hadam beta peras veholech. The halacha is if you want to or need to walk through a beta peras in your a Kohen or a person who wants to uh, maintain their purity, what you can do is you blow as you go. You walk to the ground and you blow as you're walking. Now that wouldn't work if it's an Isur from the Torah, as Rashi uh, points out. It's only because it's Asumid Rabbanan, the rabbis allow, as long as you're blowing it, we assume that you're getting any of those shards of bones out of the way. Again, two proofs to sustain, to support the idea that we had earlier, that is, that we thought we had a proof that from this beraita on the return from burial, you're allowed to, you're supposed to walk with the avil, even b'makom tum'ah, but wait a second, it's a violation from the Torah. No, but it's mutar because of kavot ha-beriot, but I thought we don't say so. The answer is, it's only asum banan and the rabbis dispense or suspend their gezerah, uh, their uh, enactment, in situations of kavot ha-beriot. But wait, the Gemara has many more challenges for this principle. Tashema. Come and listen to the following proof. The Amar Bil Azar Bar Sadok Rashi cites from the Gemara Masechet Bechorot and Daflamidvav that Bil Azar Bar Sadok was a Kohen. So that's important to keep in mind. Here's the statement: Medalegin Hayinu Al Gabe Aronot Shel Metim Likrat Malchei Yisrael. We would skip or walk and jump from one coffin to the next one in order to greet Malchei Yisrael, kings of Am Yisrael. I pause for a second. What are you talking about? Stepping on top of the coffin would be for a Kohen a major violation. That would be a Tumat Ohel, as we said earlier. By the person stepping on top of it, they are, so to speak, the roof 
the uh, ceiling on top of what's below, and as a result, there's the Tumah, which would rise up and affect them. How could they do this? It was Likrat Malchei Israel. It's for Kavot Beriot. It's in order to honor the kings. Of course, <coughs> we're going to question that. That shouldn't be permitted. V'lo Likrat Malchei Israel bilvad amru, parenthetically, or maybe connected. He says, you should know, Rabbi Lazad Bar Sadok, not only for Jewish kings would we, should we do so, Ela afilu Likrat Malchei Akum, even for kings who are not Jewish. What are you talking about? For kavod, the biriot of non-Jews, you're going to transgress the isur of Tumav, a kohen, min ha-Torah. Shim yizkeh, because after all, if your merit to be in the end of days, you'll see yavahin ben malchei Israel malchei akum. If you're able to pay careful attention to the leaders and monarchy of today, non-Jews, and contrast them with Melech HaMashiach in the future, you'll be able to really appreciate the greatness, the grandeur, the pomp and ceremony, the stature of Melech HaMashiach. So in other words, it's appropriate, so to speak, at this point, with the vision and perspective of Si Melech HaMashiach, to already greet the Malchei Akum, so that you have that contrast. But, says the Gemara, am I? Why is this so, that you were allowed to bring the Tumah upon yourself, in order to be greeting the Melech Israel or even the Malchei Akum, potentially, I don't understand. As for Kavoda Beriot Lema, we should say that you're doing wrong. In that pasuk from Mishle, which simply states we don't have any logic or any rationale of transgress to transgress the words of God, answers the Gemara Kedirava. The answer is based on Rava's statement. And again, the Gemara is going to suggest that in some way or another, we're only dealing with Tumah Midrabanan. How's this Tumah Midrabanan? We're talking about a dead body who's in a, a coffin and you're stepping on top of that Aaron. I can't understand how it's possibly only Rava's statement quite clearly is that according to the letter of the law from the Torah, Ohil, when I deal with, again, Ohil, when I, Tumat Ohil, literally means a tent. There's a whole Masechet called Masechet Aholot. Imparting Tumah through Ohil means there's something on top of it. You should also know, how, however, says Rava, that Ohil, a tent, a ceiling, can block Tumah from rising. Really? How so? In the following way, It goes as follows. If there's a halal, which means space of a tefah, it needs to be a tefah by a tefah by a tefah. In other words, there's a box size of a tefah, the fist size, both in width and in length and in depth, of air. Uh, in other words, you have a ceiling or you have something covering a box. And in that box, it might be filled, but there's still an airspace of tefah. Halal means empty space. Of tefah, the halakha is in such a circumstance, whatever's covering that box, the top of the box, the ceiling, the roof of that box, will block that tum'ah, which is inside of the box, from rising upward. Do you understand? In other words, in it the blocks ground, it. The coffin's in the ground, six feet under. That's not enough. That's not enough. Halal. Halal means it's airspace. It's got to be airspace. Oh, if it it's in the ground, it's got, it's got dirt. That's right. However, the claim over here of Ravav, the Gemara, is Verova Aronot. 
the majority of coffins, now this wouldn't really apply to the way that burial per se takes place in Israel today, where it's directly into the ground, but when there's a coffin, the majority of coffins, yesh bahem halal tefach, have an airspace of tefach, the width and the size of a fist. Therefore, the top of the aron of the coffin will block the tumah of the body, the deceased person who's in there from rising upward. Now, again, if it doesn't have halal tefah, even though there's ground as great much as it is, or whatever it is blocking it, the halakha is its bokat ve'ola, which means to say it metaphysically breaks out and soars upward, affecting anything that comes over it. But in short, says the Gemara, ve'rovaronot yesh bahen halal tefah ve'gazru, but nonetheless, there's a gezera, a rabbinic enactment of the rabbis, al shiesh bahen mishum she'en bahen. The halakha is that the rabbis made an enactment for circumstances where there'll be coffins or burial without that airspace of a tefah, which, so to speak, blocks the tumah from going up, they'll say even when there is that halal tefah, that airspace, we treat it as if there isn't, so that people don't make the mistake of assuming you can step on top of, go over any coffin, any of those sorts of circumstances. But that means, then, that the majority of the coffins that Rabbi Al-Azhar Bar Sadok was describing have a permissibility from the Torah of Tumah. There is no Tumah which is breaking up and affecting the person stepping on top of it or over it. And as a result, therefore, says the Gemara, umishum kabod melachim, in order to honor kings, call that kabod haberiot, lod gazru rabanan, the hachamim did not uphold their gezerah. So it means that the Gemara has then had an initial statement for us. The initial statement was that kabod haberiot will be suspended. Again, kabod haberiot, the dignity which we maintain for human beings, ourselves in Included will be suspended for Averot, mitzvot from the Torah. The Gemara had two challenges. Both of them were knocked out by suggesting that the Tum'ah, which was at play and at stake, was only rabbinic in nature. Tashema. Yet another statement in Beraita, and this one's harder to override or to rewrite, Gadol Kabod Haberiot. The statement of the rabbis is, look at how great and how grand and important honor of other people is. Shedoheh. It pushes aside prohibitions, negative violations from the Torah. Wow, that's a pretty clear statement. It doesn't say midrabanan, it says from the Torah. It runs in direct contrast to the statement of Rav Yudah Marat that started our sugya over here. Why is this so that we just read that statement? Lema, we should instead say, I thought in there's no knowledge, intellect, or wisdom that goes against that of God. Tirgemah Rav Rav Barsheva Kameder Rav Kahana, the suggestion of this rabbi, Rav Barsheva, as he was studying in front of Rav Kahana, was Belav de Lotasur. We're dealing with the Isur known as Lotasur. Lotasur is a pasuk in the Torah which says, Al pia Torah she yorucha, vela mishpata she yomeru lecha ta'ase, Lotasur min hadavara she yagidu lecha, yamin usmol. The pasuk says you shouldn't veer away from the words of the uh, deciders of Jewish law, Sanhedrin or rabbinic deciders through the generations, yamin usmol, to the right or the left, you should steadfastly follow their word. Effectively, the Isur from the Torah going against the strong rabbinic consensus with regards to halakha. So his suggestion then seems to be that we're dealing with something that's rabbinic in nature. Says the Gemara, 
They laughed at this answer. That's your answer? How silly. How funny. You think that Lot... Where's Lotasur written? Oh, it's written in the Torah. Love de Lotasur de Oraitahi. The Isur of Lotasur is an Isur from the Torah. Pause for a second. What does that mean? Well, Rashi explains to us the interpretation goes like this. Lotasur is an Isur from the Torah when we're dealing with the rabbinic interpretation of Isurim from the Torah. The rabbis are using their 13 midot Torah nidreshet by him, their traditional methodology, or tradition, to interpret the Torah. Under such circumstances, it has the status, quite clearly, of Torah. It has the status of deoraita. That's the reason they were laughing. They were laughing, they were saying, you're telling me when the rabbis interpreted the Torah based on Gezer HaShavah and any of the other interpretations, Hekesh, Binyanav, etc., then it has rabbinic personality, it has rabbinic status. What are you talking about? That's from the Torah. He answered, no, that's not what I meant. Amar Rav Kahana, or rather Rav Kahana, defends him and says, Gavra Rabba Amar Milta. A great individual, this Rav Bar Sheva, said something. Don't just laugh at him. He must have had a depth. When great people speak, they generally speaking have a certain insight. Don't assume that it's silliness, wrong or stupid before you gave it a chance. The reference over here of Rav Bar Sheva was on the rabbinic enactments, not on their interpretation of the Torah. The Torah says, Lo tirsah, here's what it means based on my tradition and traditional interpretations. But rather, and Rashi will give us two examples, a gezerah which is entirely rabbinic in nature. That, of course, even though they point to a pasuk in the Torah and they say we're defending this pasuk, they admit, and we all know, that the status and strength of that gezerah is only... They permitted. So that's what the reference was in this Beraita. The Beraita says, What's The fact that we listen to the rabbinic consensus when they have enactments separate from the Torah. What are two examples among many? One example, Rashi says, is the Gemara Masech Shabbat and The Gemara over there says you can utilize, you can use rocks even on Shabbat, which shouldn't be used, in order to maintain kavod What? How would that be the case? You're unfortunately stranded without easy access to bathroom or tissues or something to wipe yourself after you relieve yourself. What can you do in such a circumstance? Well, you can't just pick up rocks and you can't even rub the rock against you. It might bring forth blood. It might uh, hurt you and harm you in a way that on the Torah level, Shabbat would be violated. But it's not certainly going to affect you that way. So rabbinically speaking, it's prohibited. But you're in a situation where you're going to smell and be dirty. Mishum kavod under that circumstance, the rabbis permitted. It's for that reason that the poskim describe and understand, even if perforated uh, toilet paper are asur, uh, to cut on Shabbat, which many maintain it is. Nonetheless, it's probably, they generally suggest, many poskim, only a violation midrabbanan. As a result, bemakom kavod haberiot. If you're in a bathroom where there's no other way of wiping yourself in order to uh, cleanse yourself afterwards, you can do so. You do it off the line, because if you did it on the line, that might constitute the violation from the Torah. Off the line, so it might be 
be only rabbinic in nature. Again, a longer conversation with regards to what is from the Torah, what's asura at all with regards to toilet paper. But assuming that, that's what the poskim write, those who assume that on the perforated lines is any sur from the Torah. Do we follow? Uh, the second explanation that Rashi gives is a situation where a person's wearing his clothing, and once upon a time your clothing was your primary clothing. You didn't have an undershirt and a talit katan like many men have today. It's rather you're wearing your cloak, and on your cloak, which is your primary clothing, you might have an undershirt underneath, but you have your sisiot, and you realize that the sisiot got cut off. As a result, you're not allowed to be carrying that on you. All the other sisiot now are, are a problem of carrying, but you're in what's called karmelit. Karmelit is a zone which is only rabbinically prohibited without getting into the details to carry on Shabbat. What do you do in such a situation? Well, if I was in a biblically violated viola, violation zone, I'd have to take it off. That's exactly our sugya. Says Rashi, quoting from the Gemara and Masechim Menachot, you can leave it on you until you get to your home, provided that you're walking through a rabbinic violation zone called Karmelit. But again, the common denominator of those two cases, and back to our Gemara, is the following, that if it's a rabbinic gezerah, at its, at, its, uh, at its inception, the Hachamim made up this Isur in order to protect the Torah, not to interpret the Torah. We consider that a violation, That's not to say that if the rabbis are interpreting the Torah with Lotasur, that you can violate it for kavod abiriyot. No, that's the question that the rabbis asked, and he never denied that Rav Bar Sheva, that would be a violation from the Torah. One last suggested proof in the Gemara, and we'll finish it the next time we learn the sugya. Tashema, the following statement from the Beraita, v'hit alamta. Pasuk in the Torah describes giving back something that was lost. It's called hashavat aveda. So the Pasuk says, lo or etzeyo nidahim, you should not see your friend's uh, ox or his uh, cattle um, left out uh, astray, and he uh, he lost them. and you kind of disappear from them. The wording, the structure of that pasuk doesn't simply say don't disappear, don't turn the other way when you see someone else's uh, item out. Instead, that funny way of wording it, that unique way of wording it, the Torah says don't see their lost items and disappear, the rabbis creatively say, well, it reads like this, don't see it, but sometimes, and disappear. Sometimes you can and should maybe even turn the other way. What do you mean? Of course, a creative way of reading it, and it might suggest that they had a tradition they're trying to read into the pasuk, but what are they referring to? What type of situations could you imagine where there's a lost item, I have the potential of returning it, but I don't need to. V'hit alamta, so it's the beraita tashema, v'hit alamta, dash, or... Quote unquote, now dash. Uh, I'm sorry, quote unquote, dash. Sometimes say the hachamim, you turn the other way, you so to speak disappear from the scene of a lost item. But of course, there are times when you don't do so. How so? Explain this to me. For example, what if you're a Kohen? Vihi and the Aveda, the lost item is Beveta Kivarot. It's in a cemetery. What would you do in such a situation? You don't go into the cemetery to transgress the Isur of Tum'at Kohanim in order to do Hashavat Aveda. Rather, you leave it so. Here, most importantly, listen to this one. Ohaya Zaken. 
If you're an elderly individual, there's a mahloket, elderly or wise, because the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin on Daflamet, Daflamet Alf, deals with when the Torah says, Vahadarta Penezaken, does that mean any elderly person, or specifically, Mipenezevatakum, a person who, excuse me, Mipenezevatakum, Vahadarta Penezaken, is Zaken always Mishekana Chokma. Regardless, if you're an individual who has a certain stature, a certain inborn, or at this point in your life, dignity. Uh, you're either elderly or you're wise, and bending down and dealing with this animal, this lost item, walking through the streets, approaching and uh, holding this, uh, may, might be dirty, but just not what do you do in such a situation? You don't need to return it. Pause. Before we read onward, this is going to be our most important case. Why not? It's mitzvat aseh from the Torah to return this item. And you, because of kavod haberiot, because you're a zaken, don't need to do so. My goodness. It seems like kavod haberiot is pushing aside a mitzvat aseh from the Torah. Let's just finish the beraita first. Or, alternatively, the item which is lost is worth $100. You get paid or you make money of $1,000 an hour or even $101 an hour. In order to go look for your friend, and you might know where he lives, but you're going to lose more money than the value of that lost item, you're not obligated to go and return it. Okay, so those are the three examples brought in this beraita for when you don't need to uh, return the item. You can turn the other way. Says the Gemara, okay, it's for that reason that the Pasuk says, the Torah says, and the creative reading of the rabbi, sometimes you're allowed to look the other way. You don't need to return it. Amai, says the Gemara. Why? In the case of the elderly individual or the wise person who is it's below their stature and dignity to return this item and deal with it. Lema, we should say, we should say there's no wisdom, there's no kavod, there's no honor, there's no approach to a way of life aside from the words of God. Answers the Gemara, Shane Hatam, perhaps we can answer that Shone, different Hatam, Sham, there, Dichtiv, because the Pasuk explicitly teaches us, because Pasuk says you turn the other way. Of course, that's ironic, because that's not the simple reading of the Pasuk. But okay, the Hachamim understand that it's a unique way of writing it, and it's hinting to us that there's something to be read into it, so to speak. This is the Hidush, says the Gemara. Beautiful, that's the Hidush. But why would it then only apply to Hashavat Aveda? We should apply that to every case as well. Generally speaking, when we find the law in the Torah, in one place we do what's called Binyana. We learn from that one case to all other cases. Viligmar Mineh or Viligmar Mina, Ligmar Milashon Gemara. Let's learn from that case to any and every other case. If there's Kavoda Beriot against an Isur or a Hayu from the Torah, Kavoda Beriot wins out against that Pasuk, the way you interpret it. Which means to say, Isurim, which is really what we've been dealing with throughout our subya, of Tum'ah, of Sha'atnez, of matters of that sort, you can't learn their laws from Mamona. Mamona means finances. Finances, with regards to two people, the Torah is more lenient. We always say that mamonot are more kal, they're more lenient than isur, than violations in the strict 
permitted or not permitted zone. And therefore, says the Gemara, although you found the proof in the context of giving back someone else's obligation, uh, someone else's property of mamon, you're telling me that we're lenient over there. You can't derive from that to cases of Isur. That means to say, what have we gathered then from the sugya thus far? Number one, generally speaking, we say that the mitzvah or Isur from the Torah pushes aside and away any consideration of kavod haberiot. We have two or maybe three already notable exceptions. Number one, if the person is doing it bishogeg, that's what we understood from our initial conversation of Rosh and Harambam, maybe a matter of dispute, but maybe not. Number two, if it's a Yisud Rabbanan, that's explicit throughout our sugya, Kavod Beriot again will win out. And number three we now have in the sugya, Mamon. If it's a financial situation like Hashavat Aveda, we do say that Kavod Beriot, so to speak, wins out and is preferred to the Isur uh, or Mitzvah from the Torah. And we'll continue with this next time. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.